by chapter, verse by verse, we are in 2 Kings. Chapter? What chapter are we in? All right, 5. Chapter 5. 2 Kings, chapter 5. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that for every, every bit of your word, Lord, and I just pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would, God, encourage us tonight with your word, that you would rebuke us, Lord, if need be, with your word, that you would exhort us, God, that our hearts would just worship you as a result of being in your word, of knowing you more. And Lord, we, we come, Lord, on Sunday nights, not as a ritual, Lord, but because we want to grow, we want to change. We want to, God, be used by you. And, and we're so inadequate to, to the task, Lord. Our hearts need to be circumcised. Our lives need to be conformed. Our minds need to be transformed. Lord, and I just pray that you would do that this evening. I pray also that we would see Christ, Jesus Christ, your son, even as we're reading, Lord, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, continuing studying the ministry of Elisha. Elisha had sort of taken over the mantle of the, you could say, the prophet of Israel, though there was no real, uh, there's no real office of, of the, like the prophet of Israel. There's a school of prophets, in fact, with really Elijah and then Elisha as the head. The ministry that he focused on was not in the south where Judah, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin were. It was in the north. And a remarkable demonstration of the mercy of God. The ten tribes in the north, there had been that division. And uh, Jeroboam, we'll talk a little bit more about him later, had turned the hearts of the entire nation. Uh, not only uh, had, had turned the hearts of the entire nations to the, these two golden bulls, and he said, here, these are the bulls that uh, took you out of Egypt, and, and they uh, started worshiping that, and then it got much worse under Ahab, where Ahab and Jezebel said, well, forget even about the bulls. Uh, worship Baal with us now. And, they, and then they began uh, really just all kinds of what can only be described as abominable practices, uh, child sacrifice, ritualized prostitution, just really, really heavy. And it's so much of the uh, first and second kings is about God reaching out to the northern kingdom. Never had a good king, not even one. And they never repented. <laughs> And, and yet you see the mercy of God and, and bringing mighty men of God, Elijah and Elisha, uh, to just this desperately wicked place. 
and, uh, and, and you know, if we were to judge their ministries with uh, how we judge ministries today in the United States of America, man, they were, they were failures. The country never turned around. Revival never broke out. Uh, but what it is to us is a demonstration of the faithfulness of God and the lengths that the Lord will go to to bring a nation back to himself. And so uh, Elijah, Elijah uh, gave the mantle over to Elisha, said, hey, what do you want uh, before I am uh, then taken up into heaven? What do you want? He said, I, Elisha said, I want a double portion of your power. Wow. And uh, he received it. If you count up the miracles, there is about uh, double the amount of miracles recorded so verse 1 of chapter 5, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but a leper. He was a leper. And it's always that... B-U-T word, right? But, and he was a leper. And you know, leprosy, uh, we went at great length and discussed this when we were in uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, leprosy is a type of sin uh, in the Bible. It's an illustration of sin. Leprosy does what? It deadens the nerves. It deadens the nerves, and, and, and people with leprosy can have it and not realize it, and they're, they're, they're just going about their regular uh, life. Then all of a sudden, uh, they'll wake up one day and their nose will be gone. Or their fingers will be gone. Or their toes. Uh, and the reason is they've lost their, the, the nerves. And they can literally, you know, in parts of India, this type of stuff happens uh, still, as I understand it. They can be sleeping. And rats will come and start um, really chewing away at their nose or whatever, and they won't even feel it. Or they'll step on a nail, and they won't even feel it, and, and their feet or their toes will be, begin to be infected, and then it just falls off. And, and that's how sin is. And, and, and that's why, uh, you know, one of the reasons that God has put these types in the Old Testament, sin is like that. For a season, uh, everything seems to be fine. Uh, but meanwhile, sin is doing its damage. It's stripping away the soul. And, 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 you know, you wake up one morning and you don't have a nose and you don't have a couple fingers and a toes. And I'm speaking figuratively, but your, your life is all of a sudden incredibly damaged uh, because of sin. And then it's like, oh, no, you know, what do I do now? You know, it's interesting here that uh, this Naaman, before he has this wonderful experience later on in the chapter, this describes uh, so many people uh, in the United States of America. He's a great man. He's an honorable man. Uh, he's mighty. But he was a leper. And, and, you know, it describes so much. You know, I see the prosperity in this country, and I tell you, it just frightens me and, and even discourages me. There's, there's a lot of mighty people. There's uh, a lot of wealthy people. And a lot of them are even honorable. You know, they're really involved in philanthropy and, and, and things like that. However, they're lepers. 
The sin is eating away at them. It's corroding at them. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's um, destroying them. And they don't even know it. And they don't even know it. And so Naaman, he was a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on rage, verse 2, and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of leprosy. Now, this I find very encouraging, reading about this young slave girl. You know, she had every reason in the world to be bitter, sorely bitter and angry. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a child of Abraham, and here I am, I, I'm taken captive, and, and I'm taken away from my parents, and, you know, here I am, I'm a slave girl, and, and you know, I didn't deserve this. I'm a child of Abraham, uh, but instead of being bitter, what does she do? She's declaring, she's declaring the word of God, and, and, and you know, you may be in these terrible circumstances and thinking to yourself, I just don't deserve this. Uh, I've been ripped off. You know, I've been following the Lord and I'm ripped off. I have this happening to me, whatever finances or this relationship that's in the tank or whatever it is. But the thing is, that's, uh, it, you may be in this very position because the Lord wants to use you in this. Look at how, this is such a powerful story. Now, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It, why did it happen? Because this uh, girl, rather than being bitter and resentful, uh, she actually had love uh, for, her, uh, for her master, uh, just loving him and saying, wow, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of, of leprosy. And Naaman went in, verse 4, and told his master, saying, So Naaman is now speaking to the king. Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So then the king of Israel, uh, Syria, said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of uh, clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter uh, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill kill and make alive that this man sends a man to, uh, to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and and see how he uh, seeks a quarrel with me. And so... um, something got lost in the message. This is like the telephone game, right? You know, uh, somehow uh, it's the, the king of Syria gets a translation that he's supposed to go to the king of Israel and the king of Israel is supposed to, uh, to heal him or p- perhaps he thought that the king of Israel uh, knew the prophet but the king of Israel didn't know what was going on and said, oh, this must be another, uh, he, he must be positioning or mobilizing for war or something must be seeking a quarrel with me. This is going to be the end. I'm not going to be able to heal this guy, and uh, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Verse 8, So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, 
verse 8, that he sent uh, to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so this is the pattern uh, that we have seen over and over, right? Uh, this is what we saw at the very beginning uh, of Second Kings, where Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, fell through the, his roof uh, and, and injured himself. And what did he do? He said, well, you know, let's, he sent his servants to go inquire uh, of, of Baal, the god of Ekron. And, and uh, Elijah caught up with them and said, wait a second, what's going on here? I mean, don't you know that there's a prophet in Israel? There's a god of Israel that can take care of this for you? But, and, and it's just amazing to me how the Lord just keeps on persevering with these kings of Israel, trying to draw them back. They just don't get it. And, and this so oftentimes is, is how sin is, just the hardening of the heart. And, and, and even after the Lord uh, will draw someone in, they even, it even hardens their heart more. And so uh, Elisha, once again, an act of mercies, says, you know, why, why have you done this? Please let him come to me. Verse 9, then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. So Naaman thought, you know, he was going to have this personal encounter with this prophet and the, he would put his hand, uh, the prophet Elisha would put his hand over him and, and the uh, leprosy would disappear. Not so. Verse 12, are, the, uh, are not the Abana and the Farper and the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went in a rage. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophets had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? Now this speaks to me that this Naaman was an honorable guy. I mean, who would have the guts to tell uh, a general in whatever, the year 1000 B.C., with as barbaric as it was, to go and confront their, their general here. I tell you, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the, is the friend who is willing to go to someone and try to speak sense into them when they're just taking just a crazy path a mad, crazy path, which is exactly what's going on here. Verse 13, again, My father, if the prophets had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So, you know, this is classic, the way that lost human beings think. You know, they think that the only way that I can make myself right with God is if I just go out and just do some incredible thing for Him. 
Or if I just for the next year I make a resolution that I'm just going to be just incredibly nice to everyone I meet and I'll go on a mission trip and I'll you know go to Israel to the Holy Land and put a prayer in the Wailing Wall or I'll I'll go to this monument of Mary or I'll I'll you know go to, I knew a guy who wanted to go to Mount Sinai you know and and just trudge through the desert. And, you know, in, in, in the Islam faith, there's these long meccas that they take. And, you know, the Hindu faith as well. And, and, and the thing is, is that no one can ever justify themselves before God on the basis of their works or on the basis of their actions. But the, the, it's just the nature of fallen man that that's got to be. i got to climb a ladder to get to God. I have to. So show me the ladder. And so when someone is told, all you need to do is accept what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, that he, all your sin uh, has been placed there, and any good that you can ever do is worthless, that Jesus Christ did it all for you, and the most that you can do is turn away from your life and turn to Jesus, trusting in him to be your Savior, that's all you have to do. People say, that's crazy. That's nuts. You mean I can, you know, you heard it a million times, I can just like murder people and rape and pillage and, you know, at the end of my life to say the sinner's prayer and, you know, I'll be okay? Well, if the truth be told, if your heart is right, yes, that is what it's like. You just go and dip in the River Jordan seven times. That's what grace is. That's the difference between our faith and, and every faith. Never let anyone tell you that all faiths are the same, all roads lead to heaven. No, there is just this incredible uh, marked distinction between every other faith and Christ. Christ came to, to do everything for us. So all that we have left to do is to dip ourselves seven times in the River Jordan. There's nothing else we need to do, meaning all we need to do is allow the Holy Spirit to wash us. Titus 3. I love Titus 3. It, it just puts the gospel uh, in very simple terms, and it uses uh, water uh, just like this. It says, Titus 3, 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the what? The washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, dipping in the Jordan seven times. It's nothing more. You don't do some huge thing. You can't do it anyway. There's no great thing that we can possibly accomplish to have that uh, perfection of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us. What a wonderful story. Verse um, uh, 14, so he went down, Naaman, and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now, what did Jesus say it takes to uh, inherit the kingdom of God? We have to have the faith of a little child. Very simple faith. It t- takes a simple faith to be saved because 
who other than a small child or what other than a simple faith is going to believe that that's it? That's it. It's trusting in Jesus and, and, and nothing else. And so uh, uh, his flesh was uh, restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Just same thing, just read about it in uh, Titus chapter 3 where the Holy Spirit, which has been poured out on us abundantly, cleans us, makes us new. Verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him, and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. And so this is a very remarkable statement because people were polytheistic. They believed in many, many gods there. But something had happened to his heart where he now realizes, you know, I've just been chasing wooden statues. There's only one God in the whole world, and it's this God, the God of Israel. And, and he wants to, to bless them, and he says, Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Verse 16, but he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Oh, boy, I wish this was just like plastered on, you know, every televangelist, uh, you know, whatever, on, on the TV monitor. Or on you know so many churches where there's so much emphasis on on taking in money, on collecting money, on making sure that the that um, you know people are paying for whatever you know service that they get at a church service. The Bible says that we Jesus says freely you've been given now freely you give, and so just I I don't know about you it is so encouraging to me to see this reaction of Elisha. And, um, you, you know, what a picture, too, of, of, of grace. And, you know, from the very beginning of this story, the Bible says it's the weak things that will confound the wise. Well, who was it who got the privilege of sharing the word of God? It was this slave girl. This, in the eyes of the world, she's like a nothing. She's over... You know, somewhere in, had been dragged to Assyria, and, or Syria rather, and she's living in complete obscurity. And the Lord uses her to share. And so this should be an encouragement to all of us that God can use the weakest, weakest people to deliver uh, his word and that just miraculous, supernatural things can wind up happening. Here you have the most powerful man in, in the land, the second most powerful. I believe he's saved here. He's gloriously saved here. Um, and we'll read more about that uh, later. What appears to be, this appears to be a genuine salvation. Someone trusted, trusting in, in, in Jehovah, the, in the promises of God, all because uh, the weakest uh, of the brethren uh, went out and, and shared uh, the word of God. We we'll also learn here, uh, so important that it's the message that's important, not the messenger. Who was Naaman going after? 
He was going after Elisha. Well, it's, it's fair enough for him. I mean, he was told there's a prophet in Israel. You know, go to this prophet in Israel. But it's clear that he thought it was something about the man when it wasn't. It was the message, go dip seven times in the River Jordan. He didn't even get to see Elisha. He didn't even get to see him. But in verse 11, he said, you know, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God and, you know, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. But the messenger was not the one who is important. It never is. I mean, if you think, like, sort of coming to, uh, up to me and having me, like, pray for you is going to do any better than any other brother, sister, uh, you know, who's walking with the Lord in the entire world, you were deceived. It, it's, the, it's the word of God. It's the message. It's not the messenger. And, and, and you know, here, he finds it, here we find out again that this, this is the type of the gospel message. It's a foreshadowing of, of the gospel, that it's the message. doesn't know. We, it, it doesn't matter who's delivering the message. It's the message that saves people, not the person, not the messenger. And so being the messenger is just a privilege. Uh, but it's, it, you know, God can use anyone. Uh, to be the messenger. And so now things get uh, really, really interesting to me. Uh, it says in verse 17, it says, uh, it actually talked about, they talked about this about three or four months ago on a Sunday morning. So Naaman said, then if not, in other words, you're, if you're not going to let me <laughs> give you anything, he says, well, look, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth for your servant will no longer offer burnt, either burnt offering or sacrifices to other God, gods, but to the Lord. Yet in this thing may the Lord pardon your service. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of Rimon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down in the temple of Rimon, when I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. And then he said, Elisha said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him in a short distance. And you know, this is just so incredibly controversial. Elisha says, go in peace. When uh, this guy Naaman said, well, look, you know, You've got to pardon me in this one thing. I'm going to go into this temple of this foreign god and, and I'm going to bow down because, you know, I have to because the king is. And this is just unbelievably controversial. You know, commentators beat each other up about, not physically, but, you know, but, but about, you know, what's going on. They try to explain this away. I personally don't think this should be controversial at all. I think this should be, I think this should, this story, uh, this story <laughs> should be posted on the doorpost of every single Christian church. Because this speaks to grace and the power of God. Let me explain before you start throwing bricks at me. <laughs> First of all, the, the two mule loads of earth. What, what, what's up with that, you know? Why does he want to take two mule loads of earth? Because they were talking about a baby Christian. 
who has been living like a pagan his whole life. And so all he understands is, wow, I'm in Israel. There must be something about, special about this place, Israel. I want some dirt here. I'm going to throw it on the ground back in Syria. I'm going to kneel on it and worship. And I'm not going to, I am not going to worship any other god. So theologically, extremely unsound. <laughs> but you know, I have no doubt in my mind that this blessed the heart of God. That this blessed the heart of God. Elisha doesn't say a word about it. Go, take your two mulos. And, 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 and you know, it, it blessed the heart of God. And, and, and then the next thing, which seems more incredible, he says, well, look, you know, he says, I'm not going to offer any burnt offerings or any sacrifice to any other God, but look, I have an obligation to the king. And, and you know, when he bows down in the temple, I'm going to have no choice. I'm going to do it. Elisha says, go in peace. Now, does he say, oh, go fine. Do not worry about that. No, he doesn't say that. But nor does he say, well, that's a horrible, wicked thing. And you know something? If he, if Elisha had told this guy, oh, look, you know, let me come over here. Let me explain to you that the dirt here is nothing. You don't have to do that. Let me give you a hundred Bible verses about why that's theologically unsound. You know, Naaman would go, what? You know, he, 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 he wouldn't have understood. He was a baby Christian. And he, this guy, this was, he, this was his way of offering his life as a living sacrifice to God. And, and the thing about uh, leaning over in the temple, again, Elisha doesn't say that's fine. He just says, go in peace. What's going on here? Listen, Elisha doesn't want to lay this guy down with all kinds of burdens, all kinds of law, and he knows that if this, this is a real salvation, which I believe that he, he knows this, God's going to be dealing with him. God's going to take uh, you know, him and deal with him on, on this issue. You know, it's the most releasing thing in the world when we finally realize that we're not the Holy Spirit, that we can't force growth on people, that, you know, when people, you know, when, when people come into this church, they're wearing some weird thing or, uh, or they're talking about going to some weird place and, and, and they're a brand new Christian or, or whatever. I, I, I'm glad that, you know, I, I believe we, we don't lay burdens on them. But let me tell you, it, it, you know, it, and, and that's not because, that's not because, oh, we don't care about sin. It's because, look, we know that the Holy Spirit, God's going to be dealing with them. If they're coming here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, believe me, they will know they're not supposed to be gathering two mule loads of, uh, uh, in a wheelbarrow and, 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 and bowing down to some king and, uh, uh, or on, on, the, on, the, on the dirt, and they'll know that they're not supposed to be going in at some nightclub somewhere to bow down to a god there just because you know, they feel like they have to because they're obligated to because their roommate goes there. They'll know in time that that's wickedness. We don't have to be laying all that on them the second they come into the kingdom of God. Then that's what grace is about. Now, if someone, you know, in certain situations, you guys, you know, we can discern these situations. If someone comes to us and they say, you know, I got this thing in my life, oh, sure. You know, tell them what the truth is. But, you know, many times, you know, it, it, the, the biggest problem in churches, all of a sudden, you know, someone's born again, they're filled with joy, and they're, they're walking with joy, they're walking in the Holy Spirit, and, 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 you know, it's like, oh, wait a second, come here, you're too happy. You know, you're smiling too much. 
You know, let me tell you about the TV programs that uh, you're not allowed to watch. Let me tell you about, you know, the dress that you have to do. Let me tell you about, you know, you've got to uh, come every single Saturday night and be handing out tracts with us because that's what the Bible says you're supposed to do. And if you're not doing that, well, you're not obeying the Word of God. You know, that, that, that's just a, a trip that winds up crushing people. You know, as people grow in the Lord, they will be witnessing. They will be dressing with modesty if they're seeking after the Lord. They, they will stop going to, you know, pagan nightclubs, whatever, if they're really seeking the Lord. And, and but encourage them to get in the Word. No, don't be laying trips on them. Let's encourage them to get in the Word, to feed, you know, Jesus says, you know, unless you're feeding off my flesh and drinking my blood, you're, you're not worthy of me of being my disciple. That means, what does it mean feeding off my flesh and my blood? It means being in the Word, being, uh, feeding off the body of Christ, coming for communion. Uh, by the way, we don't have communion tonight. I'm sorry about that. I know that was announced this morning, but um, we got it a week off. Uh, but anyway, and, 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 and praying and, and, and things like this. And, and it's such a joy that, you know, over time, just seeing people grow without me having to, you know, slap them around or whatever. And, 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 and you know, it not, obviously the Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, and, and that'll happen. But it, 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 when it's, it's, it's when it's spirit-led, when it, you know, when it's going to be power. Uh, when it's going to be powerful and really happen. And, and so I myself, I don't think this is controversial at all. I think this is wonderful. And, and, and so, you know, it's a picture of uh, someone, Elisha, who knows, understands the grace of God, but just as important, he understands the power and the faithfulness of God. God's not going to allow this guy, Naaman, to be bowing down indefinitely to the god Nimon. Whoever that was, and so anyway, I think it's a wonderful picture of grace, and uh, you know this uh, this whole chapter it, it continues in verse twenty. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, uh, "Look, my master has has spared Naaman this Syrian, uh, while not receiving from his hands when he uh, uh, what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him." And take something from him. You know, it's um, it's amazing how much trouble we get when we start thinking to ourselves. You know, here he is talking to himself. He's he's not talking to the Lord. It's always the first problem. Notice how he's talking to himself. Look. He's not talking to a human being here. He's talking to himself. Look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian. Well, not receiving from his hands what, you know, what he brought. And he's going to wind up getting in a lot of trouble here. And it's interesting how much trouble we get into when we're, we're taking counsel from our own heart. And, and you know, even Naaman. Uh, even Naaman in verse 11 said, and Naaman became furious and went away and, and said, Indeed, I said to myself. So, it, it, it was, we're always getting in trouble when we talk to ourselves, and and you know we've we've already seen this so many times just in the last um, uh, in in First Kings and, and Samuel and remember in in First Kings chapter twelve where Jeroboam, who God had told him that the northern ten tribes were going to be his that he was going to be king there, 
That the, the, the kingdom would be ripped in two, really, because of the sin of Solomon and his son. And, 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 but yet, in 1 Kings chapter 12, it says, Jeroboam said in his heart, you know, if these people in my kingdom go to Jerusalem, the king may return to the house of, kingdom may return to the house of David. He was scared that the people in the north, who he governed, were going to turn their hearts. If he allowed them to go to Jerusalem for those required three feasts, three times a year, if he allowed them to do that, they were going to turn back you know, to the house of Judah. And, and so he said, well, I'm going to put up these two golden calves. And, and it said, he said, it's, in 1 Kings 12, it says, Jeroboam said in his heart. 1 Samuel 27, I'm always, always talking about this chapter, where David had been running away from Saul for 10 years, living in crags and rocks and, 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 and being ratted out by the different people and the different communities. 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, he says, and then David said in his heart, uh, said to his heart, he said, surely Saul is going to take my life. Surely Saul is going to kill me. It's, it's, it's amazing when we start listening to our own heart. It's just all lies. It's all lies when we listen to our own heart. And, and, and so here, you talk about lie. Uh, you know, he's listening, to, to, he's listening to, the, to the devil here, you know, Gehazi. Look, my master spared name, and while not receiving what he brought, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? This is really a terrible story because it just ruins this wonderful thing that just had happened where Elisha had just given to him freely, and now it's just all being spoiled. How often uh, this does happen, you know, with the flesh and carnality. In verse 22, and he said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, indeed, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please take them, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. It's a lie. It's just flat out lying. You know, the Bible has some pretty, uh, pretty stark warnings about liars, revelation. In the book of Revelation, last chapter, Jesus just says, liars will not be going to heaven, period. And if someone has a patterning of lying in their life, that's a demonstration that they have not been born again. So here you have, um, here Naaman, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Gehazi, just flat out lying. Verse 23, so Naaman said, well, please take two talents. So he asked for one, gives him two. And he urged him and, and bound two talents of silver in two bags and with two changes of garments and handed them to, to two of his servants and they carried them on uh, ahead of him. I, I don't know about you, what an incredible bummer reading this. There's this wonderful, wonderful miracle that had just happened and just all being ruined. Verse 24, when he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away in the house. Then he let the men go and they departed. Now he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, So where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Oh, your servant did not go anywhere, you know, whistling or whatever. Oh, just hanging out, you know, I didn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's amazing to me, after living with this guy, Elisha, who basically knew, like we've already read before, yet if someone's dreaming and talking in their sleep, Elisha knew what was going on. How Gehazi, well, actually, we will get to that in a little bit. It's amazing that, that 
you know, this guy can be living with this man of God and think that he's going to get away with it. Verse 26, Then Elisha said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? So this is all the things he was going to buy with this money that he had ripped off. Verse 27, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous as white as snow. Wow. There's judgment there. You know, speaking of the mercy of God, if you look at the life of Gehazi, this was, you know, you saw red flags, right? You know, I hope, I hope you, you've been seeing red flags with this guy, to say the least. Four warning signs with this guy. And I don't, I'm going to talk about these warning signs not for the purpose of, you know, so we can point our finger at what this horrible guy was. A lot of people really make an analogy to Judas with this guy. No, I want our own hearts. I want this to speak to our own heart. Lord, search me. Examine my heart. See if there's e- any evil way in me. First, what do we see in First Kings, Second uh, Kings 4, verse 27? Do you remember when uh, the woman whose uh, son had died uh, went to, to go to Elisha and she grabbed his cloak and it says that... Um, it says that Gehazi pushed her away. He's compassionless. He was compassionate. Even as uh, Judas was offended when Mary was at the foot of Jesus wiping her uh, hair uh, on, on his feet. And, and, and you know, it, it's like, you know, when you get to the point when you look as people, uh, the very people you're supposed to be ministering to, as a burden, this is a warning sign. And when your heart no longer cares about people, when your heart becomes insensitive, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm writing in the tea or something, and, and all of a sudden I'm struck by the fact, wow, do I even care about these people sitting around me? You know, actually, I don't. And, and it's just really convicting. It's like, Lord, change this in me. What else did, have we learned about Gehazi? He was powerless with the dead. Remember when he took his staff and he put it on the, the young child. And, 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 you know, another warning sign in our life is, is when, we're, when we're losing our effectiveness with people, when, you know, we have no witness with the dead. Now, who's dead? Well, anyone, the Bible says, who does not have Christ, they're dead. Ephesians chapter 2 Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions, but you were made alive in Christ. A person apart from Jesus Christ is dead before God. Are you effective? Do you bring life to the dead in your life? It may not be that they're being saved. Maybe it is. But are you at least stirring them in their coffin? Are you doing that in your life? Do you even care? Do you even make an effort to, to, to witness to people ever or, or to, to at least identify yourself uh, with uh, the Lord? You know, at one time, maybe you were witnessing and caring a lot about the loss, and, and maybe now you're like, you know, I'm really not. And believe me, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to my own heart, you know, tonight. 
Because this Gehazi, you know, we read about this guy. It's not so we can just point our fingers at the, uh, everyone else and, and, or this guy and how bad he is. The word of God's for us. Third thing, he was selfish. What happened in verse 42 through 44 of, of the last chapter? Remember when the guy came with 20 loaves of bread? And, and in, 40, in verse 43, it says his servant, this is Gehazi, apparently Gehazi, said, what, are we going to feed 100 people with these men? I mean, come on. Okay, so Gehazi's like, well, okay, Elisha, this should just be for you and me, these 20 loaves. And, and, and you know, he could have shared it. Of course, he doesn't also, he doesn't believe in the supernatural power of God, and, and we struggle a lot with that. So do the disciples with Jesus fed the... Uh, the 5,000. But um, remember, Judah's so concerned about the poor, uh, he, you, know, you know, didn't like the anointing with Jesus, where that uh, the, the, the Mary and the other, the other story where, um, you know, the, it was believed that, that this anointment cost ten, thirty thousand dollars in, in, in money today. And Judas acted so concerned, but he wasn't. He was holding the bag. He was selfish. He was holding the treasury bag, the Bible says. And then also, it's just covetousness. And, and we need to just pray that we're not coveting in our life. You know, Paul says that was the one command that he realized, you know, I've just failed them all. I mean, who, who can stand up before covetousness? But yet, we, are, we, we do need to, to, to ask God for, for forgiveness when we're just running after mammon, lucre, filthy lucre, that wonderful King James word, uh, and, and, you know, rather than serving the Lord. And Ju- Judas sold Jesus out for a few pieces of silver. And here, this wonderful, wonderful miracle is just this wonderful miracle of this guy's salvation. This guy Naaman is just spoiled. It's besmirched, whatever you call it. It's like a Michelangelo just throwing mud at it just because he wanted silver. And so, you know, you ever wonder how a, a, a guy... Uh, like this can hang out with this incredibly spiritual person and become like this. Well, that should be a warning to all of us. We shouldn't think that just because we're hanging out and getting the warm and fuzzies on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Bible study, home fellowship, that somehow that it's going to be all right with us. Listen, if we're not in the Word of God on our own with a devotion time, putting our heart before the Lord every single day, we can become Gehazi. You know, there's this incredible story. We just got back from Lima, Peru. And just this, just this wonderful story about um, one of the women there who is, who is at that fellowship where there was this guy who went to the Bible college down there. And... Um, he went to the Bible college for two years, hanging around, you know, these Bible students who were all zealous for the Lord. And then he, he the Bible college is in a different place in Lima. After he graduated there, he came for the first time to Brian Vanacote's church. And, um, and he, so he's going to this church, and then he realizes after hearing the word of God, he, he shares one day with Brian, you know, I don't think I'm saved. Yeah, I, I, I but, you know, I've, I don't think I'm saved. Based upon what I'm hearing, uh, I don't know. I, I really don't think I'm saved. And, you know, after a while, it became evident. He wasn't saved. He just took off. He went into the world. He returns like a year later with a prostitute. 
And he said, you know, I've been meeting this prostitute. I've been going to this house of prostitution. And I've been developing a relationship with this young lady. And, and, um, and uh, you know, she's this prostitute. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I t- I'm bringing her here because I want her to learn how to be a Christian. I'm not interested in being a Christian. But I want the woman that I marry to be a Christian. So, um, so this woman starts going there, and she gets saved. And then, praise God, what's the first thing she did? What's the first thing she did? She dumped them. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and, 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 and she's been there for six months, and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. She's there every time uh, the doors open up, and she's just so interested in the Lord now. And you wonder, how did this guy, well, he was at a Calvary Chapel Bible College for two years. You know, some people think Bible college is the solution to everything. You know, they get saved, they want to go off to Bible college. Well, you know, let me tell you something. It's not the solution to everything. It wasn't in this guy's case. It didn't even save him. Now, can it be used? Of course it can be used. It can be used mightily in many people's lives, but just hanging around spiritual people and even listening to the Word of God is not going to necessarily do anything for you. You need to have that own, your own personal relationship with the Lord. And so we need to ask ourselves um, if, uh, you know, uh, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart. Examine me. See if there's any unclean way in me. And so because, you know, th- this is put here as a warning to you and me. It's not just some nice story. It's a warning here to you and me. Chapter 6, it says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please, let us go to the Jordan and let every man uh, take a beam from there. And let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please, consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. And so he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. In other words, I just borrowed this axe. And, you know, that to do, today we go down to Home Depot and buy a little axe for whatever, $3.99. You couldn't do that then. You know, these were very valuable things. And so um, he, he locks, lost his axe head. And so in verse 6, so the man of God says, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and uh, threw it uh, in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. And so interesting story there. Um, you know, you ask yourself, you know, why, why is something like this, you know, in the Word of God? Well, you know, maybe uh, some commentators say that this should really be speaking to us, you know. Uh, is our sharpness gone? Has our axe head fallen off? If so, we need to go to God and say, God, it's, I, I'm no longer sharp. Something happened. My axe head is gone. I'm no longer sharp the way I used to be. And, and you know, what, is, what does Elisha say here? He says, well, you know, where did, where did this happen? Where did it fall? And, you know, the, whole, the, the, the Lord will tell you. The Lord will ask you. The Holy Spirit will tell, ask you. He says, you know, where, 
where did your walk start to fall? What were you doing, you know, when you used to have joy in your life? What were you doing uh, when you used to really, um, you know, have excitement, when you had the sharpness? Oh, well, you know, I, I used to read the Bible, and uh, I used to be in church every time the door was open, and, uh, and I used to, you know, really, really be seeking the Lord and sharing my faith. Oh, really? Well, then you go back there. <laughs> You go back to that place. And so what, you know, what does Elisha do? He throws in the wood. Oftentimes the wood represents the flesh, the carnal life, the dead life. And so oftentimes that's what we have to do. And the Lord is always so gracious. He says, it's according to his mercy. He, he is always willing to restore us. If we're willing to throw in the wood and make that sharpness, that accent, you know, rise to the surface. And so, uh, never want to lose our sharpness. But, you know, we're, we're humans sometimes. Uh, that will happen in our walk. And so important, the theme for tonight, Lord, search me, examine my heart, see if there's any unclean way uh, in me. Okay. So we will continue on next week in verse 8. We are going to be praying this evening. If you're interested in praying, come back in uh, 15 minutes, or actually just you can stick around, and in 15 minutes we'll start to pray. We're going to have a different format with prayer. Um, we, in the past, we've had men in one side and women on another side. We're all going to join uh, together this evening and get in a circle or whatever, and we're going to have a guitar there and have a little worship as the, as the prayer uh, is going on. We had a real neat time in Lima on prayer night there where, you know, people pray and several people will, will just give prayer requests and, and, then, um, and then there's a worship song and then just the, the prayer continues. I would like the group tonight uh, to pray for Surge. I'm really excited about the Calvary Chapel Church plant in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It's so exciting to be uh, with a work from the ground level up. I don't know, maybe it's just my pride, but I just think that's the greatest thing, to be there at the very beginning. Um, I remember this couple who really wanted to go to the very first Bible study we ever had in our home uh, here, uh, here in Boston, the Bible study that preceded uh, our church. And I, th I just think that can be a good thing, uh, to just to be a wonderful thing. But I did, we did get a letter from, from Serge and just the thing that he's going doing. And so remember in Port-au-Prince, it's like a combat zone in, in some respects there, although I understand.